Hello. I'm Paul Rose. Have you know me as Mr. Biffo? Sandy's giving me a funny look. Why did you do that? For the hello. Well, okay, I'm running out of ways to say it. So I try something different. That's all. Might not stick. Mixing it up. All right. Mixing it up. Respect. Hello. You're listening to Between You and Me, the only podcast about Marillion that's going through each of their albums in chronological order. And sometimes, as with last week, I make mistakes. According to my pedantic friend, Anthony, I said that Fugazi was on Real to Real, when in fact I meant Incubus. However, if you're talking about the re-release of Real to Real, which also has the Brief Encounter album on it, then yes, Fugazi is on Real to Real. But I wouldn't say that was the definitive version. So thanks, Anthony, for pointing that out and pointing out what an idiot I am. Um, which is fine talk coming from a man who doesn't know what a peanut butter sandwich is. And if you want to know what that story is about, wait until we get to our Meridian Weekend episode. So, Sanya, (laughs) hello. Hello. Wow. What a a start to the episode. (laughs) Hi, Anthony. Sorry about that. (laughs) He should know better. (laughs) <laughs> this is the thing if you're gonna if you're gonna heckle the comedian always remember they're the one with the microphone oh dear <laughs> they can always shout louder than you <laughs> so last week we started our look at misplaced childhood where we attempted to wrap our head around the sort of oh, enormity of oh the album boy. yeah i think on hindsight we actually did make some good points i think so i just hope i'm I hope I'm a little bit more elegant in my uh, communication yeah, this that week. Yeah, that went well. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, there we go. Yeah. Bodes well. Because we decided not to initially tackle the album in song order, and we decided that we were going to kind of do it as a whole because it is effective to begin one with. song, at least yeah. to begin with. It was just hard kind of hanging on to the sort of narrative and knowing where to start mm. with it really. Mm. Um, yeah, it was. And and the overall story without also stepping on the, the, the toes of what we're doing this week, which is we're going to go through the, the songs track by track, which might give us a little bit more structure than we had last I time. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. It sounds so. like we were apologising for it. I thought it was a good episode. I thought it was good, but I would like to do the album justice and I don't know if I did last week, but that's okay. The album with a ghost on it. Yeah. Ooh, I'm the ghost of the misplaced childhood. <laughs> yeah, I like that bit in the album where Fish goes, there he is again, there he is again. We've started this in a very playful oh way, goodness. haven't we? Yeah. We need to get focused because this is a serious album. Yeah. So let's kick off, shall we? Right. Pseudo Silk Kimono. Mm-hmm. One of several songs on this album that H has sung live. Has he? Well, you know he has because we watched it the other night. Well, I know, but I'm I'm saying has he for effect. <laughs> <laughs> and also I have a really, really short memory. So I probably would have forgotten by now anyway. Yeah, you've probably forgotten that we're even doing a podcast right this what, second. What, we are? What? Yeah. So Cedo Silk Commando kicks off the album. It's a little song. Yes. It's- I think it's a perfect introduction. There's not a great deal to say about it. I think it just sets the scene, doesn't it? Really? I have something to say about it. Well, I I actually don't. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised by that. Well, um, I do have stuff to say about yeah, it. I haven't I'm written sure anything do. down. Oh, okay. So I'm experiencing misplaced childhood in a cinematic way. Yes. And for me, Pseudo Silk Kimono is the introduction. So before the film actually starts, as it's starting, you know, maybe the begin. The, it's the titles the are rolling. Tit- yeah, the titles are rolling. And the sense I got, so my feeling listening to it was we were descending. So remember last week I mentioned how I felt that if we're going back to the processing of grief, mm-hmm. And in Fugazi, it was, it seemed to me like Fish was wearing an arm or holding up a shield. Mm. Now, in Pseudo Silk Kimono, perhaps it's better to say he was holding up a mask in front of him, an angry jester's mask, perhaps. And in this song, it feels like we are descending, 
beneath the armor or beneath the mask or mm. down into his subconscious to those more uh, raw and vulnerable emotions that lay beneath that anger. Or maybe at the same time, what's beneath is rising up, which in fact, in the song, he says, the spirit of a misplaced childhood is rising to speak his mind. So then perhaps he's descending and the spirit of the misplaced childhood is rising and and they're meeting in the middle. In this song, it, it felt like he was still in a pretty dark place. I'm talking like after Fugazi. The keyboard in the beginning was really melancholic with a tiny bit of hopefulness sprinkled in. And I thought that set the mood for the album so beautifully. So he's slowly putting down the mask and realizing maybe I've been hiding behind this. I've been safe in my own words, learning from my own words. I've been wearing a pseudo silk kimono. So silk is kind of, it's an exotic fabric. It's, it's luxurious. It's fancy, kind of like his words were in the previous albums when he was using a lot of thesauruses. (laughs) (laughs) Thesauri. Yeah. So his words... This is how I'm interpreting it, by the way. I'm not saying yeah, this is Yeah, funny correct. enough, I have got stuff to say because I yeah. interpret it slightly different. His words were like a silk kimono and now he's realising maybe those words weren't real silk. Oh. Maybe what I'm actually, maybe I've been hiding beneath this, what I thought was silk, but beneath it is actually a hurt child that's huddling in the safety of that image. He's found this hurt, orphan of heartbreak, disillusioned and scarred, a refugee, this hurt child. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? Given the, what we talked about with regard to the words being part of the mask in on the earlier records mm. and how he says here, uh, safe in my own w- words. Learning, learning from, from my, my own, own words. words. Cruel joke, cruel joke. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I always saw this, I guess, if we're talking in cinematic terms, this is a flash forward to Bittersweet. I always saw oh. this as the start. Oh. Yeah, I always saw this as the start of that dark night of the soul that mm-hmm. he had, which is detailed in Bittersweet. Yeah, okay. I see this I as we're, we're seeing like a film will start with the protagonist in a difficult situation. Mm. And so it sets up the, the question of the film where you go, how did I get here? Yeah. There's a... Um, there's a great... Uh, uh, twi- oh, I agree with that. Yeah, there's a great Twitter account. I can't remember what it's called. Record Scratch or something like that, where it does... I think it's taken from... Do you remember the, the Golden Years or something like that? I think they've got this audio file and they just put it on different bits of of footage from different things. And it, it, it kind of... It starts with um, the keyboard line from Bubba O'Reilly by the who you know that you know the you'll know it instantly it's iconic i'll probably know it if i heard it yeah and then there's a, a record scratch and they freeze the picture and the voiceover goes you're probably asking yourself how i ended up here Ooh, <laughs> and that's what it kind lovely. of reminds me of. i agree with that and you know if we go back again to uh last week's episode when we were talking about those stages of grief coming in waves mm. at the moment i think he's He's riding one wave and then in the next song it pulls back. Yeah. Although I see it more like if we've cut to an earlier point by the time of Kaylee. If we're dealing with this ah. in, in, in sort of screenwriting terms. Yeah. You know, scene one is a later day, right? And Kaylee takes yes. us back to a previous time. And that's partly down to the music, because what the music the music is even though the lyrics are, are full of regret in Kaylee, I don't want to talk too much about Kaylee. Yeah, yet, we'll get to but, Kaylee in a sec. But it's interesting the sort of juxtaposition. Yeah. There's a bit, there's more sort of daylight in Kaylee. There's more sort of sun, sunshine. Yes. And lavender, certainly. Yeah. And for me, the, the the first three songs almost go in reverse chronological order because I think lavender's even more optimistic and hopeful. So I, for me, lavender almost is part of the story. Is pre Kaylee, mm. and I think I, I think I, I agree with you because I do experience Lavender or Kaylee as him looking backwards. Yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah. Whereas pseudo Silkamano, the pictures it it conjures up in my mind, he's you know he can't be bothered to get dressed 
he's just in his dressing gown. Oh, okay. Uh, he's, you know, in bed. He's... Wearing bracelets of smoke. Yeah. He's smoking too much. He's he's at his lowest point at mm. the start of the album. But before that, he's got a story to tell about mm. how he got there. Ooh, that's fascinating. Do you know my favourite bit in the song? Um, hmm. No. A Morning Mare Rides. Doodaloo. Oh, wow. Okay. Let me... Where is that? It's a little bit of bass that Pete does after a morning mare rides. Wow. Have you never heard that bit? No. I've you got... need to listen to the song again. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Clearly. Yeah, it's, wow. Okay. I like just this tiny little bit that you go. I think it's Pete. I think it's on bass. Oh, I'm going to have to listen to that again. <laughs> yeah, I love that bit. <laughs> I'm always waiting for it. Oh, really? And then when we, we watched H do it, yeah. Yale and I on Marillion's On Demand website, which is very good, the space, uh, the version that H did. There wasn't any diddloo. No, were you waiting yeah, for it? Yeah, oh, I was really there. disappointed. No. Best bit. you got to have the diddloo. Oh, I've, got to, I've got to hear that now. Yeah. Hmm. So we said a lot about a little song. Yeah, yeah, we did. I thought it was a great way to start. So the big one, Kaylee, a song that needs no introduction, which is what I said about the album last week, and then we did a whole episode that was basically introduction. But Kaylee, well, I think we know what it's about. We touched upon it last week. But what's your takeaway? First, let me say, obviously, what a classic and the most perfect song to put out as a single. Yeah, they like, couldn't that, have put- that was. Lavender, like I don't stroke think. Of genius. Yeah, Lavender wouldn't have been as big a hit, I think, if it had come first. Yeah. Kaylee, there's a reason why it ends up on classic rock compilations. God, it's on so many bloody compilations, like dead rock. Is it? Yeah, classic dead rock. <laughs> what? There's a compilation called classic. Well, dead that rock. sort of thing. Yeah, didn't we see it on um on a, a an American TV show? No, recently? that was Lavender. So yeah, okay. those two songs have been featured on various. TV shows over the years, which which shows you the ubiquity, yeah. really, and and how they've just become considered to be classic rock songs from the nineteen eighties. I wonder how much they make a year through royalties. Oh, I'd be curious to know. Yeah, probably not Still as much as they played. used to because of the the streaming culture that we now live in. Oh, true. true. Yeah, I bet some still comes in though. Yeah, yeah, the old penny here and there. Okay, so Kaylee, I felt whisked back in time. What? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, just what lost. What's going on? I lost my connection. You did a I, funny hand gesture. I was, I was, <laughs> I was in the time machine. Yeah, you were that was me whirring, like in a in a whirlwind, going back in time, and I found myself back on the playground from script from a jester's tear, oh. uh, and he was there. Full of wistful, bittersweet reminiscing, full of regret and mourning at the loss. Mm. Interesting that you say about the playground. Yeah. Because it mentions a playground. I think that's why yeah, I said chalk playground. Yeah, chalk hearts melting on a playground wall. Yeah. Which is a lovely image. Yeah. Was, uh, although it did always as a kid, I was always like, how can chalk melt? Chalk doesn't melt. Might wash off. <laughs> <laughs> Technical. Well, it did. You know, it doesn't Ooh, bother me now. Not, that is inaccurate. Now I just love the poetry of it. But as yeah. a kid, it was like, eh, don't melt. <laughs> Excuse me. I think you'll find yeah. chalk what, washes what, off. What's the melting point of chalk? Let's, <laughs> well, let's find out. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry. It was. So I just wanted to point that out because it's it's interesting given that the album's called Misplaced Childer. So it's the first yeah. piece of sort of child imagery. That he's, he's, he's finding. Mm. Actually, okay, I was going to bring this up. At a later point in the album, but since you're bringing it up now, this whole album is kind of making me think of shamanic soul retrieval. <laughs> what? Well, I didn't <laughs> see that coming. <laughs> yeah. So there's this healing modality, or it's ancient actually, where they they believe that every time you go through a trauma, you lose a little piece of yourself. 
And if you lose too much, you can end up with a real sense of emptiness. Mm. And then what the shaman does for you is they will, you can do it for yourself. They will go on to a journey. They will go on a shamanic journey often into the underworld and they will look for those lost pieces of yourself. So perhaps metaphorically he's journeyed to the playground and he's found a soul fragment. They find soul fragments and they try and convince them to come back to you. Oh, this is quite Harry Potter when they were trying to find uh, Voldemort's, what were they called? They had to find these bits. Oh, the Horcruxes. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the melting heart is Fish's first Horcrux. <laughs> yeah, sort of. But yeah. it helps when you, when the piece reintegrates with you, mm. you feel more whole and complete. Okay, and there's a healing nice. that takes place. So perhaps this is his first stop on his journey is back to the playground where he finds mm. one soul fragment. Okay, um, interesting. Completely changing the topic. For me as well, Kaylee represents him. If I'm going to talk again about the the grief process. So what was it again? It was denial, anger, bargaining, something else, and then acceptance, something like that. So in in, uh, Pseudo Silk Kimono, there's just sadness and the beginning of awareness or you looking back with awareness. Kaylee, it feels like he veers back into denial and a little bit into bargaining. Um, so he's saying like, oh, is it too late to say I'm sorry? Could we get it together again? Yeah, it sounds like he's kind of bargaining, there is, there you know, is bargaining there, he's, he, and he doesn't want to believe that it's fully over. He doesn't, he doesn't seem angry at all though, like he did in Fugazi. No, and, he's and, sad. Yeah, he's, he's sad. And he's even, he's sad, but he's also accessing feelings of love. Mm. Um, I'm still, I'm still trying to write that love song. It's more important to me now that you're gone. Yeah. Like he's, he's gone beyond anger and he's actually feeling feelings of love again. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? The line that he's too scared to pick up the phone to hear you found another lover. Yeah. Yeah. That being afraid that, because to pick up the phone, that would, and and have that, that confirmed would cut off any chance of going back and making it up to her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. He, it, it would smash his denial to smithereens. He'd have to accept that it was actually over. Mm. Yeah, so that was my take on it. I have to say I love Rother's guitar solo. Oh, the solo, which was Beautiful. sadly butchered for the single version. Oh, was it? Yeah. I did listen to the single version. I can't really say specifically what I noticed that was wildly different apart from that it seemed a bit punchier Mm. that doesn't take away from the amazing riff that that is iconic in itself the the down 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 oh i love that yeah that that is iconic that is definitely accidental to think it was an accident yeah the iconic riff which of course as we know rod was created by accident when he was he was showing his well later wife joe um some some improvisation on the on the guitar so the song had uh had an origin in in fish's main big relationship up until that point some of the imagery in it the the you know barefoot in the park and all all that kind of stuff is it barefoot in the park barefoot (laughs) doesn't really matter some of the imagery is taken from other relationships that fish had had but the song ultimately is about Kay. Mm mm-hmm and when Fish wrote the song, the other band members were like, you can't say Kay in the song. Her name was Kay and her middle name was Lee. Kay right. Lee Atkinson. Uh, Lee, L-E-E. And Fish tried singing with, you know, like, ooh, Sharon. <laughs> you know. <laughs> doesn't, oh. It doesn't have quite the same ring yeah, to it. so what he then did as a compromise, because the other band members all knew her. She'd been, Fish had been going out with her since 1981. Oh, um, wow. So they all knew her well and were all uncomfortable with Fish naming her in a song. So he, the compromise was he changed the spelling of her second name and stuck the two names together. Because you never guess it was about her that way. Well, it's interesting that you should say that. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, as we know, the name has now become 
a common name. It's like <coughs> with um, Jay and Barry, with, with Wendy, he made that name up because when he was a, a, a kid, I think they called their neighbours their friendly Wendy's. So when he was writing Peter Pan, uh, oh, he yeah. named the character Wendy. Yeah. And now it became a name. And likewise, Kaylee, there were other spellings of it. And a Kaylee spelled very differently as a type of Scottish dance. So there might have been some inspiration coming from there. But mm-hmm. the spelling that Fish created, that was the point at which it started. And now you look at Donald Trump's uh, spokeswoman. She's called Kaylee. And it, wow. <laughs> it's like spelled. Mum and dad are Marillion fans. Yeah. Well, Fish actually did say that, I think, on a on a Fish on Friday did he? Uh, podcast. Yeah. So he, uh, the, the story of their relationship, mm. which really this whole album stems from, they met in 1981. She was a pharmacist that worked at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. But it was just around the time that Fish joined Marillion. And he, by his own admission, was very selfish and very career orientated at that point. And he put the band first over her. Oh, yeah, I remember you mentioning this in Script for a Jester's Tear. Yeah, and they split up late 1982, which I think I think Marcus Square Heroes came out late 82. So they split up in 82 and then post-script, you know, split up, Fish then went away and wrote Script for Jester's Tear, etc., etc. They got back together in 83. Mm-hmm. But Fish, he described it as he was like a kid in a candy store. What does that mean? Drugs, oh, hedonism, women, drink. Oh. Uh, you know, he was becoming famous. His band was signed by yeah. the point they got back together. So Marillion went off, apparently, uh, I think it might have been their first American tour. By the time he came back, she had gone and she had cleared out the flat, leaving the only only thing behind was his record player and his records. Ouch. Um, yeah, ouch. And that... Maybe why Fugazi is such an angry album, yeah, which came that, out the following year. That would make year. sense. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. So it was the big relationship. He said they were in love, you know. Yeah. They fell in love when they met. And so it was, I guess, the first time Fish had been properly in love up until that point. Of course, the irony is, with the song that he wrote, he then met his future wife, Tamara, because he'd met her in a bar and said, we're filming a video tomorrow. Do you want to be in it? Play my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Um, so, oh, that old chat up line. Yeah. And she's also in uh, the Lady Nina video. Oh, is she? Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that one, actually. Okay, I'll show it to you. So it it was a, a song that was about regret and mm. it's a sincere attempt to say sorry yeah. for his selfishness. Yeah. And, you know, as you say, there's the bargaining in there. Mm-hmm. But there's a wrinkle in the story. Ooh, tell me the wrinkle. They hadn't spoken since 1984, Fish and and Kay. And she apparently contacted him out of the blue in 2005. And... Oh, what? 2005? Yeah, so 20 years after the album came out. Get out! Yeah. Uh, And he invited her to a show. What? Yeah. And apparently she um, had never heard Misplaced Childhood and had never heard Kaylee. And he gave how, hang it, on, how what, did what she chose not to hear it? Because like, what do you it? do? Is this coming he on? No, say. turn it off. Because if it was on the radio and stuff, how can you in, how can you avoid it? Well, he gave her a copy of the album, and apparently she listened to it in the car. I think on the way home, and apparently she cried throughout it Aww. and said to him that she didn't know that was how he felt at the time. Oh wow! And they apparently stayed in lunch and in, in, in touch, but he then got a call from a friend out the blue in 2012 saying she'd died. Um, but apparently for the last year or so of her life, she was telling people, you know, that's on Kaylee, that's me. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I knew, do you know what? I feared you might when I told that story. Oh, okay. And there's more. There's out. more. Oh, no, there can't be more. This when full of script twists. for Jester's Tear was being remastered a couple of years ago, yeah, uh, the engineer 2017, I believe, because okay, <laughs> I've looked at it so many times. Uh, the engineer found a hidden message in the tapes that Fish had recorded for Kay. What? And Fish hadn't heard it since they recorded the album. It's buried in the mix. No. 
What did it say? He, he says he'll never reveal it because it's just for him and her. Wow. Oh. Mm. So there you go. Oh. That's sad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But as he said, he felt like it was a that. nice kind of, yeah, the circle had been closed. She'd finally yeah. heard the song. Can't believe she went twenty years without hearing it. Yeah. How? How do you escape it? Yeah, I know Kaylee is. <laughs> it's like every... Had you ever heard Kaylee before? No, you met me? I had. Oh, well, there you go. No, right. but I grew up in Australia. I mean, I don't know. No, I'm sure other Australians did hear it, but I yeah. don't ever remember it on the radio. It was a song that went around the world. It it was a in big hit. I mean, okay, America. It wasn't huge, but it still got into the Billboard charts and yeah. Germany, yeah, I mean, maybe huge. I did hear it, but wasn't it wasn't fully in my awareness. It's just like, it's one of those 80s songs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, there are loads of 80s songs that do stand out. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, her having been so intimate with Fish and living in... Was she in German? No, no, no. no. Oh, she was English yeah. and she still managed to escape hearing it. Yeah, name like Kaylee Atkinson. She's not oh. going to be German, is she? <laughs> <True>. <laughs> Kaylee Von Atkinson. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I think it's... There's something really... See, I don't know, now I'm talking about I feel a little bit emotional. I know, that's so It's a really... Tender. Yeah, and they said... He said that they were just... When they caught up, they were just like old friends who, you know, talked about kids and failed relationships and they supported each other through a bit of a tough time. So, yeah. Wow. Nice. Lavender, or Lavender Blue, as Top of the Pops and other TV shows erroneously credited it as. Did they? Yeah. <sighs> it annoyed me. There, there was a B-side called Lavender Blue, which was a remix, but the single was called Lavender. Oh. Of course, there are two versions of this song, as we know. One is the album version, which is just a couple of minutes long. It's, it's effectively an interlude on the album. But it was the only other obvious contender for a single, so they added an extra verse or so into the the single to bring it up to sort of single length. So it's three and a half minutes or something like that. I think the single. Ah, okay. <clears throat> so, what's your take? Oh my goodness! It lavender is such a tender song. It really evokes feelings of tenderness in me. I see no traces of him feeling like a victim in the way he might have done in She Chameleon. I don't get that sense of vitriol and blame that Emerald Lies and Incubus seem to exude. I didn't pick up on any tenderness in Fugazi at all, but Lavender is just dripping in tenderness and there seems to be a real kind of innocent love it seems to like it's an innocent love that he's expressing it's a very hopeful optimistic it's hopeful there's an there's an appreciation there for the his experience of the relationship and it's this is it's like this is the love song that he'd wanted to write for her or for them depending Mm. on whether he's writing for one person or more um it's like this it's a symbol of his idealized love the beautiful pure innocent love that's like a a beautiful flower and yeah there's a lot of kind of more hopeful elements in it like children singing they were running through the rainbows they were singing a song for you whether the tenderness with him saying I owe you for your love like there's a real he's he's really appreciating his experience Mm. he's really appreciating that relationship that's yeah. what I got from it. Yeah. I it, don't know. You can tell me now, no, it's about something else. Well, uh, this is Fishy's own words. He said, the childhood theme brought up the idea of util- utilising an old children's song. And Lavender was an obvious contender as one of the original pop songs. I remember him saying this at the time, that he, he saw Lavender. Because do you know Lavender Blue? Lavender is a is an ancient Yeah, song. it's an old yeah. um, nursery rhyme. So he tried to evoke going through the parks listening to Joni Mitchell. It's the little boy's dream about walking through the park and bumping into the lady of your dreams and that you're going to fall instantaneously in love with her. Oh, So okay. it, this is what I mean about the 
the kind of going back in time of the first three tracks. Yeah. This feels like chronologically it comes yeah. before La- um, Kaylee. And then, right. you know, oh, I'm going to fall in love with this woman. Hard cut to, oh, my God, I'm heartbroken. And I'm so sorry I messed it up. Oh, okay. Interesting. Because, like, in in Kaylee, I, he said, I'm still waiting to write that love song or something like that. Oh, where is well, it? Well, yeah, that Let love song. It. The love song for me is one that that he sees as like an endless love song. It doesn't have an end. I thought so I I thought it was like it's more important to me now that you're going to write this love song and it feels like lavender is like okay here it is this is the love song. Mm. And it's it's a really kind of idealized version of love. Yes, that's what lavender is. Yeah. For me very idealized. What's interesting is fish saying that it was a, a childhood song the original version of it was a 17th century folk song yes the original version of it wasn't for kids but appropriately it was about drinking and sex oh my god and it went (laughs) um lavender's green diddle diddle lavender's blue you must love me diddle diddle because i love you i heard one say diddle diddle since i came hither that you and i diddle diddle must lie together Oh, and apparently there are as many as 30 verses in some versions of the song. Whoa. Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of different versions of it. But it's the the dilly dilly is the the kind of classic one. Mm. I shall be king. You should be queen. Yeah. It's just romantic. It's a romantic, lovely song. I mean, it was a lovely song to release as a single. It's one of my. Because of that, because it evokes feelings of tenderness and hopefulness. It's one of my all-time favourite Marillion songs. Did is you know it? That? No idea. Yeah, Cat Lavender is. And I particularly love the live version, which weirdly both Fish and I think Marillion have done, where they incorporate the Blue Angel section from Bittersweet into it. Really? You know, yeah, the Sky Was Bible Black and Leon, because obviously that repeats yeah. the musical motif of oh, it. Oh, wow, they both do it. Yeah, or have done it in the past. Uh, and I love that version because it extends it even more, but brings in those extra lyrics and yeah, it. I God, I love it. I really, really love Lavender. I love it more than Kaylee. Mm. Uh, Kaylee. I mean, let's face it. Most Meridian fans have heard that today. Yeah. <laughs> and probably most of us kind of go, oh God, why, why is that the song that they're always so associated with when they've got much better songs? Yeah. But it's it, yeah. But it's that, the one that travelled the, the furthest the across the, ro- the world. Yeah. So, yeah, so Lavender got to number seven. It wasn't, it should have got higher, I think. It, it's just perfect. Number like seven is pretty good going. Oh, yeah, God. No, it's, it's better there. than good. Oh, no, sorry, number five. Oh, wow. Sorry, number five, I think. Number five to. is most impressive. Yeah. So and it deserves good. it. But when you hear this off the back of Assassin, I do wonder... Oh my God, what yeah. some existing, Actually, yeah. yeah, what some existing Marillion fans thought, what they must have thought, what the hell is going on? Do you think it might have um, lost them some fans? Well, I don't know. That was certainly offset by how many new fans it brought them, including me. Ah. But I had nothing to compare it to at that point. Mm. I just thought this is how Marillion do music. It's weird. I, I read a, an interview no, sorry, not an interview. It was a review yesterday uh, about Misplaced Childhood. I think it might have been a review from the time. And it typically was dismissive and kind of went, oh, they're just doing all the same old things. It's like, no, they're not on this album. Have you actually heard? Wow. Marillion's that was a review songs? of Misplaced Childhood? Yeah. Saying they're doing all the same yeah, things. Yeah, the same old, you know, tedious uh, what? Trick, box it's of tricks. It's completely different. There's nothing it they've is done. Completely different. Yeah, there's from nothing they've done that compares to Lavender. Sorry to the person who wrote that, but even script and Fugazi are completely different from each other. Yeah, well, so yeah. So it's like, how can you say the same old? Because it's the, this is what Marillion got, and to a degree, still get today. Well, certainly, I think there's been a slight shift in perceptions of them in recent years. You know, since they've been headlining the Royal Albert Hall and yeah. stuff like that. But for the bulk of their career, they've unfortunately been on the receiving end of reviews from journalists who who, who haven't really given them the time because they come to it with that preconceived notion that, oh, they're a Genesis copyist band. Mm. 
when that's not true, as we know. Mm-hmm. And it's like that guy, you know, the Fred Penn. Oh, your favourite. Oh, yeah. Ooh, let's not bring him up again. Yeah, Britpop, mad for it, mad for it. Yeah, yeah. Apologies to any Mancunians listening. Yeah, to hear Lavender next to something like assassin or, or lies and to say that Complete. they're just repeating themselves. How? How? Yeah. Or even Market Square Heroes. They're completely different. Mm-hmm. I know. But this is what we've always had to endure. And this is also, a, it's interesting, this is something I've been meaning to say on the podcast for a while. Mm. You look at why Marillion have such diehard fans. And it's partly because, you know, <laughs> if you want to create a bunch of extremists, mm. attack them unjustly. Right. Yeah. It's why it's like on Twitter recently. Mm. This is, sorry, this is really deviating, but it, it, it is relevant to a point. I generally have always steered away from writing political posts, but recently it's felt like the government haven't had the best interests of my industry right. at heart, which my industry being the creative arts that I work in. And because of that, I've been doing a lot more kind of posts having a pop at the government than I've ever done before. And that's because I feel personally attacked by them. Mm. Consequently, it's making me feel far more politically motivated than I think I've ever done in my life because I feel like they are personally coming for me. Right. And I think something similar kind of has happened to Marillion fans. We know Marillion Marillion are great. uh, And yet to have the outside world think they're shit or without merit or derivative Without even giving them the time, yeah, to to be able to make a, a a proper decision, yeah, objective decision, yeah, yeah, without opinion, know, not decision, and just sorry. having their opinions coloured, yeah, by effectively a um, what's the word, you know, a sort of prejudice that it, that doesn't come from actually listening to them. Yeah, I mean, it's fair enough. Marillion aren't for everyone. No band is. Yeah, you know, one of my friends, Giles absolutely loves The Fall. They're his favourite band. Mm-hmm. Giles, who I mentioned actually, funny enough, in the Fugazi episode, because he used to like Maria. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't get The Fall at all. I, you know, I actually, musically, I hate The Fall, but I don't... Oh, ouch. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's I think I've told him this. I've really view. tried, because I've tried to sort of see what he likes in them. But you've tried to that's see. That's the point. Yeah, Whereas you didn't think, just, like, listen to it from a distance on the radio, half listen while you were doing something else, and go, no, I, I don't like them. Yeah, and so I, I do, I hate that sort of lazy journalism. And speaking of someone who's an ex-journalist, I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of playing to the crowd and, and writing negative things because there is yeah i've said this before on this podcast but but yeah this is why marillion fans or at least part of why marillion fans are so fanatical because we've spent the last 30 odd years under attack by people who don't really understand us yeah you feel unjustly judged yeah, yeah, you know, you're saying, you're saying prejudice. You're saying there's something wrong with our musical taste without actually having listened to it. And it's taken me a long time, really, to yeah. I've always talked about Marillion, of course, but I always felt if I ever met, met mentioned Marillion, I had to kind of apologise for it, and that was oh, yeah. be slightly self depreciating, and that was because I I was braced for the snidey comments. Which always I came. I think the first time you ever talked to me about them, you were slightly apologetic, like, "Oh, I've got, I've got an un- yeah, unusual music yeah. taste, like, you know, not many people agree with me, or something like that." And Marillion really like, know it themselves. You know, H said when he joined the band, he was he had a choice between going on tour with The The as their keyboard player, a band with credibility, or joining the world's least fashionable band as lead singer. Right. We know what he chose. Rightly. And yeah, rightly. And I I think it worked out pretty well for him. Yeah, it did. They've got their iconic uncool as fuck t shirt. They know they're uncool. Yeah, yeah. This is how uncool they are. They censor the word fuck. (laughs) Oh my god, that's That's how uncool Marillion are. Awesome. Although they have got an album. Do you have now. that T-shirt? I used to. Yeah, uh, faded. I think they've done oh, a new You wore a new it so version. much, it faded. Yeah, I love that T-shirt. Oh. So um, yeah, 
But anyway, that was a, a massive tangent. Yes, it was, off Lavender, which off was Lavender. a very popular song. Yeah, it was. So we should move on. Bittersweet. Brief Encounter. Yes. yes, this is the first of a couple of tracks on this album that is broken down into subsections. Also, the first time for a while that Fisher's done some wordplay. It was bittersweet. Yeah. Bittersweet. Yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, it's it's clever. Yeah. <laughs> Bitter. And it's sweet. And it's sweet, except it's spelled S-U-I-T. Yes. As in a suite of songs. Oh. So what's your take on this? This is one yeah. of the big okay, so cinematic I'm gonna... moments. Trying to express my take on it, I found a little bit more challenging than the previous. Well, it's a collection of moments, isn't it? It's very, yeah. it's that density that we would it, we yes, struggle with. That's exactly it. It's it's dense. Um, so I'm going to start off by talking about the sound. I love how it began. I love the echoey, shadowy tumble of the drums. And I thought that that beautifully encapsulated the change in mood from the more upbeat mm. Kaylee and Lavender. So the more We've upbeat and hopeful Kaylee and Lavender, and then yeah, the atmosphere just becomes thicker and denser. Mm. This is when we in the last episode when we were talking about seasons. This one is the one that always reminds me of autumn or winter. Yeah, the yeah this is darker. This is darker. And more shadowy. I have to say as well, I so much prefer Fisher's spoken voice when he speaks naturally. Mm. So in that spoken word section, he wasn't doing that high pitched voice. And I just found it, I don't know if it was because it was more authentic and therefore Mm. easier to connect with. I I just found it sounded, I mean, I love the Scottish accent. So it's like, just talk as much as you want if you're going to talk in your normal Scottish accent. And then... Even when he briefly puts the jester's mask back on, in my opinion, um, in the bit that starts with the train sleeps in a siding, the driver guzzles another can of lager. Lager, lager. Yeah. Sorry, I could not do it. Of course. That's fine. Everyone join in at home. (laughs) The driver guzzles another can of lager, lager. Yeah, so even though his voice changes slightly there, it's still softer. Well, this is, funny enough, I wrote exactly the same thing. This this counts for the, the music as well. It's very restrained. It's, it, it builds atmosphere. Mm. It's what I sort of said, I think, in the last episode, without showing off. And Fish, because he's just, he's telling the story, what he's not doing, and this applies in a similar sort of sense to the band, He's not overacting. No. Whereas no. I think he has done on previous previous albums. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is, it's almost, yeah, it is almost overacting, you know, because I'm going to get my anger out. Here it is, everyone. I'm showing you it. Yeah. Whereas here he's he's giving or stepping back almost to, to let his words tell the story with the music. Mm. And, that, and in... in, in- that way it really builds atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. And because the music is particularly atmospheric in this mm. this whole song and every section of it. Uh, and again, as we've said, it repeats the the musical motif from Lavender, which I've always loved the fact that it, it echoes back. Yeah, yeah. But in a different context. Yeah. So when it comes to the meaning, I'm fully expecting you to correct me. My interpretation of the song is that it starts with him feeling semi-hopeful in a misty, gothic kind of atmosphere, waiting tied to the phone like an expectant father for his love to return to him. But with the passage of time, that hope starts to rot away like the, the carnation in the vase. And so to distract himself from the disillusionment and despair, he goes and engages in a distinctly casual affair. <laughs> oh, <for> you. <laughs> a brief encounter, if you will, um, with who I'm guessing is a lady of the night. And I don't mean vampire. Yes and no. Yes and no. I'll come back. Well, okay. Okay. Fish says in 
I got this off of uh, the excellent Marillion Explanation of Song Lyrics website. Yeah. Fish says she wasn't a prostitute. He oh. says it's dramatic license. It was a dramatic license taking influence from sort of other areas. Okay, yeah. So I wasn't that happened. I wasn't fully sure of that. That's, That's what just, he means by the Magdalene uh, yeah. paralyzed in her streetlight. Yeah. I mean, my God, the lyrical imagery. Of, I know. Of this. I mean, my and God. And then mixed with the music, when the music changes. Now, I couldn't find the right word. I, I wrote, it helps you imagine the kind of rendezvous that they are having. I, I can't describe it. It's not sleazy, though. I, I find that section incredibly sad. Mm. I found this whole song incredibly it is. sad. Because it is incredibly for me, I don't, sad. I, I don't specifically know what it's about, but I have a takeaway from it that he is, he's trying to replace Kay. That's it. That's yes. what's happening. He's trying, he's one night stands or, yeah. you know, the prostitute. Yeah. Which wasn't a prostitute according to him, but that's what it feels like. Because then the music breaks at around three minutes, 40 and, has that callback to Lavender, yeah. which to me said that this distraction isn't working. He's the cracks, still in love. Yeah, the cracks are beginning to show. He realises that this is just another misplaced rendezvous. Yeah. And he finds that he's not able to move on. Misplaced or these, rendezvous. Yeah, yeah, these encounters aren't the real deal. These women are just the parallels of Kay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, a parallel of you. Yeah. That's that's if what it he's is Kay he's talking about. Sorry, I keep bringing because you, yes, you said it, it was like that a, was just Kaylee. Some of was, the imagery in it. The album oh, is okay. about Kay. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, the album is all about. Yeah. That. So he and he he's trying to fill the hole in his heart. Yeah. That's what's going on here, and it's a real. We're jumping about in time again for me. It's this is. But this might be what he was going through at the time. I'm sure as he was grieving, he was mm. jumping about in time. You don't ever go through your memories in, chronolo- in chronological order. No, they, no. They, they, uh, they appear and are connected in in any time order. Well, the, and the the line, the weekend career girl never boarded the plane. I never knew what that was about. Oh, yeah, tell me. I never I've knew. I've been waiting until, for days for you to tell yeah, me because you mentioned the other day. All these years, it was like, what, what? And I found out in the last week, it was apparently someone he'd had a passionate encounter with in a bar and he hmm. invited her down to visit him. Mm-hmm. She never came. Oh. They said this could never happen again. So wrong, so wrong. So he obviously felt dumped again. It brought up. All, all the stirred old, up, all, stirred the, up all the feelings of being abandoned and yeah, and left, yeah, and so, alone. Yeah, there's a real loneliness to this. That's song. exactly what I've written. Yeah, Fish seems lonely. He seems incredibly lonely. The other thing, that's but the in, woman that he's having the encounter with as well sounds really lonely. Yeah, yeah. What well, the, the, the and the beginning bruises. of the song. Oh, okay. Yeah, the track names here they all refer to, or oh, most of them, not all of them, but they refer to movies. And I oh, looked really? up, yeah, Lost Weekend is about an alcoholic writer. Hang on, where I was listening to it, I didn't see all the track names. It was just listed as one track. Well, it is one track, but... Oh, I, section, oh so tell me all the section names. Section, no, I had Brief no idea. Encounter, right. that's one. That was about a um, an ill-fated extramarital affair. Uh, Lost Weekend was about an alcoholic writer. Blue Angel, which I can thank Fraser for putting me onto this. Um, it was a German film from 1930 starring Marlena Dietrich about a respectable professor who fell for a, a cabaret dancer at a club called the Blue Angel. Oh, uh, yeah, and, there you go. And he descends into obsession over his love for her. But this is the bit that I thought, wow, God, he's clever. He loses his job because he's become so consumed with lust and jealousy and gets a job at the Blue Angel as a cabaret clown Ooh. <laughs> and becomes humiliated and eventually dies clutching his desk that he used to talk, teach at. Oh, wow. It's a cabaret clown. How, in terms of imagery. That's, yeah. You know, face paint even. You know, I always love that, that section, but knowing that extra level of, of what he was alluding to there. Mm. You know, just in the titles alone, there's yeah. so much more. I don't more. know why, where I was listening to it, I didn't get the titles. Well, that's okay. I, all all I had on, 
um, my album was um, Bittersweet, Brief Encounter. That yeah. was it. Well, it's just it's fine. It's a very prog thing but to do, to, to break, a, break a song down into sections. Yeah. Yeah, Grendel has sections. With different names? Yeah. Get out of here. I had no idea. Yeah, Lurker at the Thresholds one. <laughs> Heroes Return. Oh. Or hero. What's it? How's it pronounced? You're reading the book. Oh, I, okay. This was, I read this bit the other day. It was Hero, yeah. but it was spelled E-H-E-O-R-O-T, yeah, which yeah. is actually um, a type of deer. Oh, okay. There you go. So um, It's um, like an, um, a medieval way of saying it. So I think this is a contender for some of Fish's best, best lyrics ever, this, this entire song, mm. in terms of painting imagery. But it's also a contender for some of Marillion's most cinematic music. Yes, that's really cinematic. They are really, really restrained in doing it, but they only really push the boat out in terms of sort of upping tempo and coming together in moments when it will bring the drama. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about this song. Changing the speed of of the music. But for most of the time, they're just, they'll stand back and they'll, they'll, they'll be like, this is our soundtrack to this, this movie. Yeah. And fish is right in the script. Yeah. It's great. What it a song. is. It is. And of course, it ends with a section that you wouldn't know called Windswept Thumb, which actually got released as part of Heart of Lothian, but it actually is part of Bittersweet. Oh, on the outskirts of nowhere, on the ring road to somewhere, on the verge of indecision, it's I'll always take the roundabout way. Waiting on the rain, for I was born with a habit from a sign, the habit of the windswept thumb. And the sign of the rain. Or oh, I love, can I just say, I love, I, lo- I love the transitions and the whole album. But this this beautiful transition between the end of uh, Bittersweet and the beginning of Heart of Lothian with the connection of the rain. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's great. It started raining. Oh, also, it's so cool. I also want to point out there as well, is Fish doing his, his puns and words with double meanings as well. Outskirts of nowhere. Okay, ring road, verge, roundabout. It's all to do with roads. Mm. Anyway. It's and hitchhiker. Clear. And hitchhiker. Well, yeah, it's about yeah. hitchhiking. So he's kind of got all oh, that, okay. that, I see. that word imagery in there. So do you think we've done bittersweet? I hope so. I'm, I'm sure other people might be able to enlighten us to yes. bits that Send we've... us a tweet at BMPod. Or a message on Facebook at Beampod or email us, beampod at gmail.com with your take on Misplaced Childhood. I'm not reading the emails until after we finish the album, though. we've had a few, but we're going to do a special episode if we get get enough. If we get enough, yeah. But I don't even want to read them in case because I need to have like, I don't want them to influence me until after we've moved past it. Heart of Lothian. Yes. Another song split into two parts. Part one, Wide Boy. Part two, Curtain Call. Ah, I had no idea. Mm. Listening to my album on Apple. All these weeks of research. I know, and then I missed that out. The songs had subtitles. Yeah. Off you go. Off I go. Okay. First of all, I have to say, I love this song. I think it's it's a Marillion classic. It's so full of life it's so crowd pleasing it's such a song to chant along to and sing along to so we're moving on from him desperately trying to find a replacement but only finding parallels of k and now he's really pushing forward it starts off with it's starting to rain. What I interpret that as is it's marking a change in Fisher's attitude because rain is in a way a symbol of change. It, it washes away the old, it brings new things to life. And the sense I'm getting from this song is that Fish want, is, is his desperation to wash away the old and start a new life is starting to ramp up. So he's not so much pining anymore for the old love to return as I I want to get past this and how he seems to be wanting to do it in this song is by joining the lads and going on the pool on a Friday night 
And there's a real sense of awakening for me in the song. It's like all the instruments seem to be coming alive and and getting more punchy. This is the song where I feel a real upward movement. All the stuff that was under the surface is pushing up, pushing through, and he really wants to move forward. He wants to wash away the heartbreak from before. So you've got quite a positive, as in you think it's a positive No, I don't, because at the end, he... He realises it's not working. The man in the mirror has sad eyes. He's like a, a drunk in a parking lot. He's trying so hard. He's trying so hard to forget and to distract himself and to go out with the boys. Sorry, can I all just also say my favourite line in the whole song is um, the wide boys who spray their pheromones on, on this perfume. I knew uniform. you were going to say I that. I love that. Yeah. So he's like, you know, getting swept away with this culture of the wide boys, but underneath it all, he isn't. Underneath it all, he's not really quite ready to move forward with his life. He's not ready quite yet to let go of the heartbreak. Yeah, I had a similar take. I think that's that's roughly what it was. Yeah, I, I see this as he's partying to forget. Yeah, he's desperately trying to forget. Going out, getting drunk, going on the pool, going to nightclubs, whatever. Yeah. That's all. It, it It's all to paper over the, the cracks that are there. Yeah. So I still see this as a, you know, embracing his heritage. That's why his heart of Lothian. He's sort of, you know, uh, the heart of Midlothian apparently is a, a sculptor in, in, laid into the pavement in the Edinburgh Royal Mile. Oh, really? Which, that's the Royal Mile that's sort of mentioned in the song. So there's part of him here as well embracing his, what he sees as his heritage mm-hmm. of being a wide boy. But for me, the the the, the end bit, which is curtain call, mm-hmm. as it's called, you know, the man from the magazine wants another shot of you all curled up. There's something in there. And I don't want to get into clutching the straws too much. Mm. But... There's something there where he seems to be slightly resenting what he has to do as part of the band. He's doing a photo session. You look like an actor in a movie shop, but you're feeling like a wino in a parking lot. Mm. He's putting on the mask. That's him talking about having to put on the mask to be fish. Yeah. To be the rock star. But inside he's a mess. Right. Yeah. That yeah. No matter how much makeup and lighting and all the rest of it. Yeah. You have he can still see the sadness in his own yeah. eyes. Do we really need a playback of the show? That's, you know, our post gig because mm-hmm. the wide boys want to head for the watering holes. At this point, it feels to me like being in Marillion is work. He's getting worn down by it as well as it being about Kay and about Marillion's not providing the distraction. Yeah, that's it. That he needs. Yeah. That pain is too heavy. It's the distraction is not strong enough to lift him out of mm. that that pain that he's in but the only thing that's sort of semi doing it is the the going out and getting pissed having a f- fun with his mates yeah so that's my 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 take on it that's how i yeah have seen i think it. we seem to agree we seem to agree i haven't got a lot more to say about no Heart me neither i mean i just love the sound of it it's a great song but again there's an uh, incredible loneliness at the end yes so the man in the mirror deep. has sad eyes that's yeah. heartbreaking yeah it's, it's really like he deep. sees his pain still yeah even if other people but other people seem to think he's the wild boy yeah you know let's yeah. just yeah but there's more to him than that yeah they just see it people are seeing the mask but mm-hmm. but the mask is slipping Mm-hmm. Yeah, poor old fish. <sighs> so this got to number twenty nine. It was a single. Did it? Oh yeah, yeah. You mentioned before. Yeah, oh, I, it's a great song. I love it. I love, I love it. seeing I, it live. I, I love it live, it as, live as part of Kaylee Lavender Heart of Lothian, which they often do. Mm. Often they have done, and but for me, it's still. I always thought it was an odd choice for a single. I never thought. When they announced that was their next single, I never thought it was an obvious one. What would you have chosen? Childhood's End. Or an extended <gasps> version of White Feather. Childhood's End would have made the best single. Yeah, I know. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that should have been the third single. Why didn't they use Childhood's End as a single? I know. Although Heart of Lothian is still... It's still great. Yeah. I was surprised, actually, that it, it when I did a poll on Twitter that it got 
that was the single from this album that everyone or really? won the poll. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. What interesting. did you vote for in the poll? Lavender. Yeah, me too. Oh, well done. <laughs> Actually, I didn't vote. I can't vote in my own poll. Oh, can you not? <laughs> <laughs> I would have voted for Lavender. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, Lothian. There was something else I was going to say about it. Oh, yeah. Of course, the video. Mm. There's a, a moment in the video, famously, where a car crashes into a shop. Oh, and yeah. we know the, the guy whose dad owned that shop. He's <laughs> on Twitter, Alfred, Ch- Alfred Chow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, it's a small world. I know. It's like, God, what? Anyway, so yeah, small world. Oh, I love the end. Another sad great song. song. Great, great song. song. Great classic. Yeah, you take out the sad bit and it's just a punch along anthem. But the, the end bit is that does add a little bit of melancholy. It does. To what went before. Mm. Calling. Calling from the future. We've decided to split the episode into two, having had a bit of discussion about whether to put it out as one long episode. And that's partly because we felt very emotionally drained by it. It's actually, we're still getting over it. This is a couple of days later as I'm... I'm talking here uh so we don't want to really inflict (laughs) the same experience upon you guys so um we'll see you next week in the meantime please subscribe please share please find us on twitter facebook send us an email all of that uh and we'll we'll catch up next tuesday or whenever you're listening to this on the ampod bye bye (laughs) 